Welcome to Relaunch, the real estate podcast focused on helping you find your success in real estate. My name is Lauren Cooper. I am an active real estate sales representative just north of Toronto, Canada. The whole purpose of this podcast is to bring you actionable content by interviewing the best of the best in this business, helping to take you from zero to hero in your real estate career. Welcome to another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. That is the Real Estate Launch Podcast. Today, we are welcoming Bryson Smith. Bryson, hello. Hello. Thank you for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Welcome. All right. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your business as to kind of where you're at today. Well, currently today, we have 10, member, uh, 10 team members on my team. Um, seven of those are you know, a mix of listing and buyer specialists. Um, we do about almost 300 units every year. We're going to be trying to push for 450 next year. Um, and I've been in business about going on eight years now. Wow. Fantastic. That's excellent. Now, what got you into real estate? What were you doing before you were in real estate? Well, I was, I was in college and I, I worked at a local health food store and the guy that worked with me there, um, his mom was actually a, a big time real estate agent here in town. And he said, you should get into real estate. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what I would, you know, anything about real estate. So I, you know, I trusted them. Uh, I dropped out of school, you know, I had $300 in my checking account. And uh, at that point I said, I'm going to give it a shot. And I remember my girlfriend at home said, you're crazy. You know, my boss said I was crazy. My parents says I was crazy. And it just kind of feels, feels good in a, in a weird way to prove everyone wrong that, you know, you can't be successful with the hard work you put in. So you're one of those people, eh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what is your uh, area? Which area do you work in? Um, we're in central Illinois and uh, in Peoria. And there's a lot of miniature towns around our Peoria area, Metamora, Germantown. And so we kind of service within a 50 mile radius of central Illinois. Okay, fantastic. And how old were you when you got your license? Uh, 26. All right. So that's relatively young to get your real estate license. Um, now what was your first year like? Were you just sort of thrown into the pit by yourself or did you join a team? What, what, what did it look like? Yeah, I, I ended up joining my friend's team, uh, his mom's team. And, um, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I learned a lot there. Um, and then I just kept, kept feeling like I was going to outgrow the team eventually. So, you know, that's when I went on my own. Why don't you give some people an, uh, window into the experience of joining a team? I know it's different depending on, you know, the team and the market, but your personal experience, what was it like coming on as a new agent into a team? Um, it was a pretty good experience. You have the accountability of everybody, you know, surrounding you. You've got a lot of training that's available to you. Um, I mean, you, you got, there's so many things like you don't have a lot of money when you're first starting real estate. So even just the simplest of printing a contract, you know, that costs three bucks to print a contract or just having the simple, just money to, um, do off to have office materials. So it was good that you had the assistance at the beginning, you know, the training and then also the accountability to get the contracts done. Um, so, I mean, it was a positive experience for me, um, versus if I was a solo agent, it would, you know, because when you get when you get licensed, they don't tell you, you know, when you're going through the train, you know, to getting licensed, they don't tell you exactly what to do in real estate once you're licensed, you know, there's or what no, to do to get the business. Yeah, exactly. So I, I you know, I, I can only imagine sometimes the solo agents jumping in the business, not knowing, well, where, what's the next step? And I see that all the time in our market center, or you know, when an agent comes on my team, I'm like, wow, you know, if that was me not joining a team in the first place, I would have been probably a year or two behind at the end. 
So coming in, did they assign a, a mentor in the team to you? Or how did it work? Were you off to the races right away? Did you have a period of onboarding where you were in uh, training? Um, with the structure of that team, there wasn't really like a, a mentor that was given to you. Just kind of each team member that was on the team. And, you know, this was like a family team. So they had been in business 20 years. I'd get tidbits from everybody, you know, while I was in the office. And were so, you given business right off the bat or were you expected to prospect? How did that work? Um, I wasn't given business right off the bat. Um, that team was going through a transition. And so, you know, I kind of fended for myself a little bit. Got a lot of training from them um, when I did have the business. But I first started getting uh, leads through open houses. That was the biggest thing because that was where I was comfortable when I worked in that retail setting. You know, clients would come in, they'd want something, I'd help them. And then, so I just felt more comfortable at open houses because here's the clients right there in front of you. So I felt like I could sell to them in person better. And you had the advantage of being on the team and being able to work the team's open houses, right? Right. Yeah, correct. Okay. So give me a little insight into what the open house strategy was like back then. Um, what I would do is I would greet everybody at the door, introduce myself. Um, just kind of sim similar to what I did in retail, you know, like what brought you out today? What are you exactly looking for? And just happen, you know, asking open-ended questions. And eventually they would tell me, you know, they would open up, you know, you have to kind of break through the shell a little bit. They would open up to you and they're saying, okay, this is what we're really looking for. And I, I would say, instead of saying, okay, I'll go back and find it. I pull it up on my phone. Here's a couple of houses. I see they're vacant. Why don't we go and look at those right now? And that would usually people like that type of hustle. So Fantastic. So did you have a sign-in sheet? Yeah, I did. Yep. There, I mean, we would always bring a sign-in sheet, flyers. There's always a binder provided at the, the house with disclosures, Ameren, you know, uh, utility bills, uh, plat. So I, I felt like I was an expert and I would, I would get there early and examine all of that material because I knew it was there so that I didn't look like an idiot not knowing anything about the house, even though it was a team listing. But I just wanted to make sure I was prepared. So success through preparation. Yep. Fantastic. Now, what about uh, getting people to the open house? Was there anything that you did to make sure that you had traffic? Um, while I was on the team, I, f I feel like I was still too new. You know, now we actually send out email blasts throughout our entire CRM database. You know, we do calls. You know, we invite past clients to open houses, current clients are working with. But back, you know, then on that team, I didn't really know too much on what to do. So I know that they were advertising in the paper, they're advertising it online, um, and usually people would drive past and see the sign. So at that time, I didn't know exactly what I was doing. You kind of learned along the way, and it was okay. Sure, you just popped up a few signs in the neighborhood and showed up. Now, are your open houses typically uh, Saturday and Sunday, 1 to 3, 2 to 4? Give me an example. Yeah, we do our, our open houses for our team now. We do two to four on Sundays or sometimes 12 to one if it's something that's – we usually do the 12 to one if it's a really hot listing so we can cram everybody in there. You know, the two to fours are kind of reserved for, uh, I would say, listings that's been with us. That hopefully, you know, we try to sell listings as quick as possible. But if, it's on, if we're still in our inventory for three weeks, four weeks, we'll do the two to fours on those. Okay, great. Fantastic. So um, back to your first couple of years in real estate when you were doing those open houses, you were collecting people's information, you were showing them that you had some hustle and trying to set up appointments for houses if they didn't like that particular house. And how did that work out? Um, yeah, there was a lot of follow up. You know, I would take those sheets home, follow up with them all the time. Um, how would you, you know, follow up with them? Um, well, I would primarily phone call. Because I feel like uh, 
one thing that, and I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Bold through Keller Williams. I took Bold. I'm not with Keller Williams, but I was okay. invited to, to the training, and uh, I did take the training, so I'm familiar with it. So that was one thing that uh, the previous team I was on, they did have me go to that right away. And one thing that I learned through through Bold was to, you know, increase your chances of being able to convert. And you can't really convert, you know, really well with a text or an email. But if they hear the tonality in your voice, so that's why I would primarily do the calling until I knew I secured that client. And then I'd hopefully meet with them in person. So I called basically almost every day if it was my only client. Just so, to get in touch. So you, you called until you got somebody and they either said yes or no. Right. Okay. And then I usually follow up with an email. Fantastic. Now, what was the goal? Was the goal to meet them for a buyer's appointment or to show them a house? What was the goal? Yeah, at that time, it was just to get them into another house if they did not like the open house. You, I mean, if they showed interest in that open house we were at, I was obviously trying to sell that because it was the team's listing. Um, if they did not, um, show interest in that house, I just try to get them into another house at that time. You know, I didn't know too much about real estate. Now, if you know what, what I encourage my agents on the team to do is bring them back for a buyer's consultation after the open house, because you'll save yourself so much more time rather than pop tarting them at every house, trying to get, is this the one or is this the one? And then trying to do miniature buyer sessions there where you don't have the material with you. You don't have a laptop, you don't have your computer in front of you. So bringing them back to you know the office after the open houses, which you know our offices open after open houses on Sunday. So I usually I'll come in, I'll see a couple of guys in the conference rooms doing buyers consultations and saving themselves time. Oh, fantastic! So let's skip ahead to that for a minute because that's interesting. And you're doing your buyer consultation directly after the open house, if possible. And the goal of the consultation is what to sign a BRA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to retain that client, and and they and they want to work with us. Yeah, I mean, well, you obviously you have to show them the value in order to want to work with you, and that's what the presentation is all about, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Show fantastic. Them. Yeah. And for those that don't, then the follow up is to try to get them into that situation. I, I assume. The the ones that do not come back to the office. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. And you might not get every single person to come back to the office. I mean, you might have 10 people, 10 groups through your open house and maybe only one comes back. But, you know, we always make sure to get all their information and you have to build, especially in our market in Peoria, we're shifting. So, I mean, to an investor market and prices are kind of at an all time low. I mean, I'm actually got the shift book. <laughs> I teach that book club at, at the office. But um, so you, you kind of have to, um, fight more for the leads and show your value really, really quick in the process or they're just going to go to the next agent. So we've, we've got certain things that we say during the open houses to build our value to that client so that they will meet us at some point, even if it's not right after the open house, or they'll continue to answer their phone after we talk. Can you give me an example of what it is that you say? Yeah. So, I mean, most people I ask, how did you hear about the open house? You know, and they, they say through what source. So that's important to me. Um, and then what I'll start to say is like, how long have you been looking? And sometimes they have a real estate agent and sometimes they don't, they have a real estate agent. You would be, wouldn't be surprised. Well, we've, we have a real estate agent, but we've been looking for six months, you know, and that's, I say, well, that's kind of crazy. Cause you know, we usually find, find you the perfect home in two weeks. What are they showing you? Um, and then, you know, whatever they say, I, cause we keep all, we actually have a Google doc spreadsheet that has all of our upcoming listings. And I feel like that's the best way to build rapport is to show 
they're not seeing everything on the market and the good homes sell within the first you know couple days or they sell before it even hits market because those those sellers are willing to show it off market you're basically um, a matchmaker uh, and you're collecting this data in the back end of people that are thinking about selling and that's a, an extra piece of value that you can present to uh, those potential buyers which is exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah it's really helped and I mean our team actually sells our listings 35.8% of the time where we actually double land our listings where oh, the really? next team to me, yeah where the next team to me is at 10% so that's that's really helped my business i think that's really benefited our clients because they would have gotten into multiple offers or you know some of those properties so um, it just like you said shows that value that extra value to them Okay, great. So let's step back in time to, uh, I guess, year one and two in the business when you're working those open houses, trying to get business. Um, tell me tell me more beyond that. Were you basically working with buyers? Did you have any listings at that time? Well, and I was just strictly a buyer specialist on that team. So that that's all I knew. Um, what I really did was I would hammer hard on my sphere of influence because, you know, I, I the first couple of years on that team, you just you, even though they're assisting and helping you, you don't really see the the overall picture sometimes. And I had never been in real estate, and I kind of rushed through to get licensed to kind of keep up with the other guy that I was joining his team. Right. Um, so you know, I'm like, well, what do I do? And so they said, well, call your friends and family. And that was kind of the first thing I did. I would call through all of my friends and my family, and I would ask them, and then you know, who do you know, or yourself, are you looking to buy, sell or invest and, you know, using those type of bold scripts, you know, with them. And I would start, I started being really successful. I would say most of my business actually came from my sphere when I joined the team. Oh, and excellent. I, excellent. Yeah. So let's talk about that a bit, because I know that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to call and ask for business. Explain the process, what was going through your mind? Did you struggle with that? And, and what was the script like? Yeah, it was completely something I wasn't used to because, like I said, I was going to college and working retail where they just come to you. And, you know, knowing that you're in this business for two reasons, you know, you're lead generating, that's one part of your business, and then you're actually doing the business, the other part. So it was, it's very uncomfortable to call people. And I started kind of getting upset because I would see, you know, people post on social media or they, I would hear through the grapevine they bought a house. And I was like, wow, I should I was just about to call them. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know, I was too scared to call, <laughs> you know, I, I think I thought that I was bothering them. And then a piece of advice I got is people are more afraid to talk to you on the phone than you are of them. So now I, I, I've actually taken that mentality all the way through where we're at now. So I just kind of got over it and said, well, they're going to be more scared talking to me than I will be talking to them. So I'm going to call them anyway. And then I would say what started happening was I started identifying my go-to guys, the ones that have given me more than two or three referrals. There was, you know, I have had five guys that would give me up to seven, eight referrals all the time. So I was keeping in constant communication with them, sending them, you know, a gift card or taking them, you know, out to lunch and just making sure they were well taken care of because they were sending me. And then, and then it started dawning on me. It's not about how many calls you make. It's about how, who you're actually calling because you can make, you know, I still prospect every day, you know, here's my prospecting sheet with names and numbers before we've already, you know, got on the call. And a lot of those people are strategic who I'm going to talk to. And right. eventually you get to like, I don't, you know, I just talked to Tyson, you know, two months ago, he's a good person to get referrals out of, but I need to add new people to the database now. But to answer your question at the beginning, I was just calling 
friends and family. And, and what, how are you approaching it, the actual conversation? Do you remember? Because a lot of people are stuck. Like, uh, do I ask them first? Do I just start talking about their kids or their life? Or how does that go? <laughs> yeah, I, I kept it really casual. Um, I would say over the years, it's gotten a little bit more direct, you know, with what message I want to send out to them. And I mean, that shift book is, is awesome read because it talks about what message are we providing and what what is the motivation of a buyer and seller? You know, and the sellers and a buyer, let's just say, and the buyer's motivation, we can't really create it. We can just kind of motivate it a little bit. And, you know, interest rates were super low years ago. So you, it seems like everybody wanted to buy. Everyone had motivation. So I started kind of thinking about what message do I want to give to the buyers when I'm talking to them. So when I would first make a call, I would just, you know, if I was calling somebody I went to high school with, I would just say, hey, just wanted to let you know I'm in the real estate business now. If there's anybody that you need, you know, that you could send to me or if yourself ever looking, I'd love to help you. And just they're like, oh, OK, thanks. And then, then I would ask, you know, come from contribution and say, is there anything I could do for you right now, even if it's not real estate, you know, regarding real estate? Do you have any? I mean, oh, OK, great. You own your own home. OK. Um, oh, you're planning on remodeling a bathroom. I have a contractor that we use quite a bit on the team I could send to you. So some sort of value you give while you're asking. Fantastic. Excellent advice. All right. So you were calling your sphere. You got a lot of uh, business from your sphere, which is great. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way, but when it works out, that's fantastic. Now, moving on from that, how long were you on that team? Uh, about almost two years. All right. So do you remember what your production was over those two years? Um, In terms of units, maybe? I would say the first year, you know, I really struggled. I, I almost thought about maybe I, I chose the wrong career path, and I feel like a lot of people think that too. <laughs> Welcome to that club, my friend. Right. <laughs> I'd say uh, maybe the first year, first because I joined in October 2011. So if we just say from October to October, I probably did maybe 40, 40 homes. It was really slow at the beginning. It was maybe 20 within the first, you know, uh, till June. Then it really sped up because I started getting comfortable knowing what I was going to say knew more and more about financing, um, you know, financing side and getting, you know, obtaining mortgages and stuff. So then as I became more knowledgeable, it just seemed like it started exponentially going quicker. And I was starting to close five, you know, five consistently every month. Wow, that's fantastic. So what's the general price point of, of homes in that area? Um, our average is about 135. Um, but we have, we have, you know, luxury all the way up to a million. But there's you know, I'd say the top 10% of maybe Peoria can really like afford that. So most homes sell between 80 and about 150. Okay. For a general market. Okay, great. Excellent. All right. So first two years, um, that's generally how things went. You were working sphere, you were working open houses. Any other uh, ways of generating business during that time? Um, I mean, that was kind of my bread and butter. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people started reaching out to me and I was starting to be a little bit more responsive where they would reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I heard you sold so-and-so's house. And then I would quickly, quickly follow up with them and try to provide service and then ask them for business. So it was like the business started coming back to me a little bit. So how were you asking for referrals at that point for, from clients? Um, I would just call, pro well, and see Everything has been more perfected now, but <laughs> it was kind of archaic at that point. But I had everybody that I'd ever sold a house written down in a, a notebook and paper. And I actually still, to an extent, use these yellow notebook papers. Uh, but 
I would have everybody's house, their address, and I would actually, you know, send them stuff because I, I didn't have access to the CRM on that team. So um, I didn't, you know, have any automatic notifiers to tell me send a card to this person. So I was kind of doing it by hand and it was still working, you know, where I was still making a good living. But um, I was just following up with everybody, you know, every so often, you know, my very first sale came from an open house and I ended up selling them the house up the street and it was pretty good, you know, for our market, 200,000. And I said, wow, that, that's awesome. So for that first person, I followed up like almost every other month, you know, just saying I, I appreciated them, you know, thanking them, thanking them for choosing us, um, you know, sent them cards, you know, I was kind of buttering them up a little bit until I got a more business and they did send me referrals too. So even though I didn't know what I was doing with that transaction, luckily I had the guidance of the team that carried the transaction to close. They were still happy. And so, you know, I guess the lesson is you don't have to be a pro to make good business. Just do it, right? Mm -hmm. Take action. Fantastic. Yep. Now, uh, at what point did you leave the team again? How long in? Um, about almost two years. Okay, so right about the end of those two years, you, you decided to go out on your own. Yep. All right, and what was that process like? Um, it was pretty amicable with the team leader. I mean, she always knew because, like I was saying, it was starting to get exponential where I started having 15, 20 pendings at a time. And I'm like, wow, you know, um, I think that I, I kind of want to grow this and do this on my own. Um, so, you know, when I, when I, she was, uh, the old team leader was very amicable with me leaving. We split all the deals like we had in our buyer's agreement. And then I kind of went on my own and, I said, well, I don't even know where to start. So I just got an office at our local Keller Williams and it's, you know, $125 for a desk. So I just started there and kept all those pendings going, kept doing what I was doing. And then eventually added an assistant about six months later. Okay. At what point did you add the assistant and, and what made you think that that was a good idea? Um, it, when I knew that I was working, when, when my life and work balance started going out of sync, where I was staying at the office till 11 o'clock every night, trying to just make sure I was covering all of my bases with, for the following day, okay, I need to order termite, I need to get the title work ordered. And I mean, doing all of that back end stuff was like a second full job. And I'm like, you know, I actually calculated how much time I'm worth per hour. And then, you know, kind of just paying assistant, you know, uh, 15 bucks an hour with that, that would still save me. So, she started coming in the office and luckily I, I knew her husband. So it was kind of uh, a good mix. And um, so I hired her and uh, just kind of went from there. Fantastic. Now, in terms of a business model, when you went off on your own, did you uh, specifically think, all right, how am I going to grow my business? I'm going to go after these sources of business in this methodical way, or was it just sort of figuring it out as you went? Yeah, I was more figuring it out as we went along. Um, looking back, I wish I would have just invested the time of just saying, okay, these are going to be the core elements of how we're going to run the business, but we've always just been go, 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 go. And you know, the business that I had created for my sphere and open house and other, other ways that we generated, they kept me busy and kept me busy. And now that I feel, I feel like we finally have a grip on things. We're going back and readjusting a lot of our systems, top grading them. Okay, well, let's talk about that now. So you've had the experience, you've been in business for years, you've grown a team now. How many people are on your team? 10. 10. And is that, uh, how is that structured exactly? So me and uh, one of my listings, it's me and another listing agent that do all of the listings. 
there's six buyer specialists that just only help with buyers and manage their CRM. And, and we do have leads come in through other, a lot of portals now, so they field the calls. Um, and then we have a, a marketing coordinator, a listing coordinator, um, a closing coordinator. And then also I just switched one of my agents to actually managing my team now so that I can focus on just keep lead generating and bringing in business and she can kind of be the admin side of running things. Okay, interesting. So now what is your prospecting look like? What is it that you're going after to generate all the business that you do? Because you said you're doing what, about 300 deals a year? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an impressive number. So give us a little bit of background on that. So what we, what we primarily do, have done, especially in this market, is just really gotten back to basics. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, reading that shift book has really taught me a lot. I, and I've, I've been an avid reader my entire life, but kind of I never prepared for a shift to happen. So when, th- when things are getting more scarier and you have to field way more phone calls or do a lot more prospecting to get people, um, we've kind of went back to basics. And, and uh, you know, they, there's that saying, you know, when the tide goes out, you know, you'll see who's skinny dipping. That was kind of a lot of the, you know, agents in our area where we were kind of that the motivation of the buyer was easy because interest rates are so low, prices, homes were, you know, way more affordable. And so we didn't have to work as hard to get the business. It just kind of flowed to my team from all my prior years of work. And now it's like, oh, we have to kind of dig in. So we just went back to basics of, of doing, you know, the 20 phone calls a day. And these phone calls are to my sphere of influence, family, past clients, open house leads. Uh, this is an REO company. We've been reaching out to pretty much every local bank in our area because Peoria has been becoming more of an investor heavy city. So we're going to work with local banks, Fannie Mae accounts. We can get them and, you know, kind of double sell to our investors. Uh, past client, contractors, you know, we, we pretty much call everybody. We have to turn these in before our script practice that we do mandatory at 830 every day. Okay, so you're so, turning that in uh, from the day before? Correct, yep. Gotcha, and then you're doing a script practice every day. Uh, tell me a bit about that. So for, you know, we, we do have like a rigid structure on the team. You know, everyone usually kind of gets in here at 8, gets settled in. Then at 8.30, we go into our conference room. We script practice scripts with, you know, seller objections, buyer objections. Um, and it's not that we're trying to manipulate the buyer or seller, but it's sometimes helping them self-discover that what their goal is, we can help them with. So, you know, if this is going out there, we're not trying to <laughs> manipulate anybody, but... Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with that, and and I don't think you need to worry about that. When it comes to scripts, you don't want to be stuck fumbling and mumbling when you have a brain fart. (laughs) Whereas if you already know it, okay, yes, this is is what that means. This is how I say this. This is what I mean. So there's no confusion. You're not mumbling over your words. That's basically it. Correct. So we do that between 8.30 and 9, and then from 9 o'clock to 11, um, we do prospect for buyers for our listings. So we've really focused on trying to sell our own listings because when a seller hires you, they want you to sell their house. Whereas, you know, most agents, as you probably know, they just try to market it to everyone. And if, you know, if it happens, it happens where we're proactively really trying to find a buyer to buy our, you know, our listing. And that's why we have the best numbers in Peoria's area for that, for alone. Um, but, you know, along the way of trying to find, find that, you pick up buyers, you pick up people that are sellers. Um, and then, you know, some of them may not, Call, you may not reach anybody, and that's why we turn them in the following day so that when they call back at night, you know, we can say, okay, write down their information, and then come back and fill in the sheet 
to turn in, and this is kind of like your ticket into the script script practice. So if you don't do your your sheets, then you're going to stand outside of script practice, and everybody's going to know that you didn't do what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, luckily, we haven't, <laughs> luckily, we haven't had that happen yet. But public uh, shaming it always works so well, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, can you give me an idea of um, exactly what you're talking about? So you get a listing, you're calling, actively calling the area to, to try to find buyers for that listing you said, right? Yep. So give me an idea of what the script might look like for that. Um, you know, I would say, and I kind of go back to where I had, I had began, where I'm going to call my, my top guys first. You know, I'm going to be strategic on who I'm calling. Or if they're, say, I have a listing in, we'll say, Rolling Acres in Peoria, well, I'm going to first call the people that we've sold houses to in Rolling Acres. So I'm going to say, hey, uh, you know, hey, Joe, this is Bryson Smith with Keller Williams. How are you? You know, kind of do like a quick catch up because we have to get through 20 people in two hours, which sounds like a cinch, but it's actually, it can get exhausting and it's, it's harder than what you think. Right. So right. it's got to be a quick phone call. So a quick catch up. How's the house? Everything's great. Some of these people already know that we'll probably be calling here in a couple months. So the conversations start to become quicker. They know that, hey, I'm going to be asking you for a favor, but I'm going to try to give you some sort of value after the fact. So it's like, hey, Joe, this is Bryson Smith, Keller Williams. Did you see that we listed a house around the corner from the house that you bought? Oh, no, uh, you know, I didn't. Or, hey, yeah, I did. I saw the sign. Awesome. Do you know anybody that would like to buy that house? And, you know, just it's just simple, point blank. And, you know, if they say, yes, actually, my sister would love to live in this neighborhood. I would, she just was over for Thanksgiving. And I'll say, great, you know, can I have her, her information? And, and these people are the warmest people you could, you could even go out to touch. So they're going to give you their give them the information. If we get any sort of pushback, then I just say, well, hey, if we schedule an open house this Sunday, you know, you think your sister would come or any which way I need to do to get that information of the, that potential buyer. Because let's face it, that's the hottest lead we have right now unless we're getting, you know, people that are inquiring on the property through other sources. So um, that would be one way that I would, you know, and then I end the phone call with, hey, by the way, you know, I know that uh, we were going to protest your taxes here. I'm going to give you a call back in a couple months when we can't, when we're allowed to do that. So, or, hey, I know that your gutter needed fixed and we had our company come out and fix it. Um, did they do a good job? You know, so I'm always trying to reinforce with value. I like that. I like that. Something else popped in mind. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the people that you sold to, although that's a great way to keep in touch with them. It's a reason to reach out and it shows that you're still active, even if they don't know anybody that's looking for, for uh, purchasing a home. So that's, I really like that idea. Um, yeah. But the thing that popped in my mind is what about the people that just bought over the last year? Why not reach out to them? They're not your clients, but guess what? They probably know people that are going to look to move into the area as well. Right? Right. Yep. And kind of like the orphaned clients that their agent sold them a house and then now they bye never bye. hear from again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't really gone through that avenue yet. Um, I'm sure as our market keeps shifting, we're probably going to have to start doing that a little bit more. Um, but right now we're still kind of seeing the success with just reaching out and getting back to basics and the 20 contacts a day. So um, if they're usually what I see is for every 20 contacts, I usually get three appointments. Oh, okay. So for 20 contacts per day. Yep. Now those appointments not might not be come list me right tomorrow, but they could say, Hey, we are going to, um, you know, want to list the home at the end of the month. And I'm like, great. I'm going to put you on the calendar right now because my month books up quickly and I know you're probably busy. And then, you know, I get them on the calendar right away. So it might not be an appointment for the very next day. 
Really, really interesting. So I was going to ask you, right as you said that, what is the math behind the 20 contacts a day? What are you hoping that it works out to? So we, we track all of the 20 contacts that every team member makes into a program called CTE. And so then we can actually examine the numbers and I can say, okay, Allison, so we, we figured out per 40 contacts, you usually get two appointments. How do you think we could do that with only 20 contacts? You know, who, and then it helps us identify who is she calling or um, what is she exactly saying on the phone? What, what message is she giving? And then if everybody was, you know, because the bold, and this is in the shifting market, but they say for every 12 contacts, you should get at least one appointment. Or for every, and it used to be for every 12 contacts, it was two appointments, now it's one. So we, we're really trying to figure out how many contacts we have to make a day and who do those contacts have to be so that we can repeat business year to year to year and, and do those subtle adjustments. Right. And are those warm contacts or cold contacts, the 12 Both. to 1? Both. So it doesn't make a difference if you're just calling people randomly in a phone book versus people that you know? Well, you know, it, it does. <laughs> for, for me, mine is always somebody that's either a sphere of influence or a past client because that's always what, you know, and I had actually broken down. I don't even know if I have the notebook here. I broke down my entire business last year on because I had sold 96 homes um, and for myself personally. And I said, OK, where did these 96 people actually come from? And it was 45 percent was sphere and 45 percent was a past client referral. So I'm like, okay, that's my bread and butter. So I've, I'm always going to stick with that because it works. Now, other agents in the office, they call for sell by owners. And I do call for sell by owners too. The other 10% were a mix of for sell by owners and team referrals and that kind of stuff. Um, but I would say they're, they're doing a little, well, I don't know. I mean, I, we've, we've looked through their sheets and they write down, you know, past client or where they came from, but they don't have the book of business that I have. So they're going to have to reach out to more people to include them into the database to now become a Met. Right. That, that's the challenge when you're first getting started is you don't have that deep well uh, to draw from. Right. Okay. So, but I think that if you could do really a really good job for your first 10 to 20 people, those first 10 to 20 people can turn into 600 like they have for me. So... So what is it that you're doing to stay in touch with people that you've done business with to try, other than uh, the, the phone call once a quarter or however often it might be, uh, is there anything else that you're doing that's trying to keep them in the loop and trying to generate referrals? Yeah, I mean, our, CR, our CRM has you know automatic emails, to-dos, like you need to call this person today, you need to send them a birthday card, you know, you know so we, we, we hit them with a couple different things, it's not, but we always do about four phone calls a year to that client. Um, and you know, the phone calls could be less than two minutes. I mean, that's why it's, it's so easy to do, but we always see it's uh, top of mind awareness. And if you're never, if you're not top of mind awareness with all of your clients, then you may not get the business back They're, They have become new people to you again. Right. So, so I'll, I'll hit you with that Keller Williams number of uh, the 33 touch idea. So yeah. are, are you trying to follow that? Um, we do something similar to a 33 touch. We don't do the exact same formula. I feel like with the 33 touch, they get way too many emails. So we've, we've bumped it down to one email per month. And is that you know, just I, like a newsletter email? Yeah. Yep. Essentially just newsletter. Sometimes if, if I see a client of ours is looking on the website again, um, then I might email that person along with the email they're getting from the database. So that's like, hey, here's a news update or, hey, here's what's happening in your area. 
and then I'm like, hey, Ryan, you know, I saw that you've been looking at our website. Um, how's things been? How's your wife? You know, blah, 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 blah. And so they may get some additional emails from us. Um, and then if I really feel that person is, you know, if Ryan only bought two months ago, I'm not going to call him right away and say, hey, like you're ready to sell again. But it, it, you just we just kind of gauge the activity of the client and see how what kind of how much do they need from us? Okay. Great. So now that you're much more structured and you, you've got that prospecting time worked into the day, can you give me an example of what your day actually looks like? Yeah. So um, usually what happens is I, I get up about five o'clock and then and I've been I've gotten up at four and three before. I'm trying to master that because I know some of the, the best in the business get up at three. Um, and so I usually get up at five o'clock here at the office about five thirty. And that allows me to do the uh, do the additional reading. Um, I'm actually reading this uh, this uh, this another book, but I can't really say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So it's been a good read. Um, and then on top of that, reinforcing. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell term. people that are just listening. It's the subtle art of not giving a you know what. <laughs> so you know that that's my time to improve myself, personal development, and growth. Um, because, you know, when you're a leader of a team, you have to be able to lead them and you have to be, you know, bring them value, bring them knowledge, not just your clients, but your team. And then I reinforce that with the, the journaling every day. So usually that takes up about an hour, hour and a half of my time. And then, you know, I'll, I'll, I know you're not supposed to check emails at the beginning of the day, but I'm usually, I would, I would agree with that if you just got into the office, you know, go into prospecting first, but it gives me time to get through my email go get a coffee, get ready for the day. Eight o'clock, people start coming in. 8.30, we script practice. We end at nine, go from calls from nine to 11. Everybody kind of just disperses and goes on lunches. Sometimes the team members will eat in the office. Sometimes they go out together. Um, and then we actually time block for when our appointments can be, which is one, three, and five. So on our Google calendar that we use, we just have it highlighted. This is where you can put in your appointments. Um, and I do one to five as appointments and then maybe on Tuesday and Thursday, which I'll have to look at my calendar here. Uh, it's not going to close up. Is this a shared calendar that you have with people to book appointments with you digitally or something that you're just filling in back end? I'm filling it in. So I'm, but you know, sometimes if we're going to like, we do one-on-ones with the agents and I say, these are my time slots I have available and they send it to me and I can confirm and automatically go onto the calendar. Uh, but this is for me to where I want to put it put my appointments in too. Okay. I mean, we don't have a, I know that some teams are a little bit more advanced where they have an ISA that will book the appointments for the agents. And we've tried that in the past, but then, you know, the agents double book themselves on accident or, Hey, you know, the ISA added that onto your calendar and you're like, crap, I just got off the phone with this person and confirmed that. So we, we don't do that. We let the agents have full control of their schedule, you know, as long as it's after one o'clock, but we do have on our, uh, on our, we, we use a lot of visual whiteboards everywhere. The agent has to have a set amount of pendings to be able to leave early. So, and we found this because we, you know, we've had agents that's kind of, and they're all good people and all hard workers, but sometimes, you know, I don't feel good today. I'm just going to take off. So if you have below five pendings, you have to stay till 4:30 unless you have appointments in the schedule. Um, if you have five to nine pendings, you can leave at 3:30. If you have 10 plus pendings, you can leave at 2.30, no questions asked. So that way, it, you know, gives them incentive that, hey, if I, if I do want to go take a 
frisbee golf day or something, you know, <laughs> or go golfing or go to lunch with Nana or whoever, then they know, they know where they have to be pending wise because we have, we've set a goal together that we're going to hit together. And if we, you know, don't abide by how long are you going to be here in the office? Cause if you don't have appointments from one to five, well, then you're going to fill out two more of these until we get, get the appointments. So that sets expectations and structure so that there's never any uh, rub down the line, right? Everybody already knows that going into it. Right. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. So let me ask you then, in terms of appointments, a lot of your appointments are happening, and, and, and these are buyer showings and or listing appointments in the afternoon yep. from 1 to 5 o'clock? Yep. And are you getting any difficulty with that? Aren't people usually at work during that time? Um, it depends. Sometimes we'll, we'll ask them, is there a way to take like a late lunch break? You know, we kind of, we don't control people. But we try to kind of influence their schedule a little bit. Um, I, the eight, my buyer specialists have not had, you know, that many problems showing between one and five. Um, I don't know if they're, you know, coaching the, which I assume they are, they're coaching the, the um, client to, Hey, how many sick days do you have? Maybe we're going to take a day off and we're going to hammer this out because then it kind of reinforce the idea that we're going to find something today. So, um, but I'm sure, and I, and I know that the agents do have later appointments in the evening just for my personal calendar. Since I don't show buyers anymore, I can usually get the sellers to, you know, meet me for a listing appointment for one, three and five. Uh, really? Maybe it's, yeah. I like that. It, here in, in my market, just North of Toronto, uh, it tends to be pretty common that we're basically working all evenings <laughs> and right. people are at work and when they're finished work, then you sort of get together with them to show them houses or meet for listing appointments kind of in the evening. Now, there are some people that have a structure differently for sure. And uh, I really admire that. And I would really, for my own personal selfish reasons, would love <laughs> would love to learn how to structure my calendar that way as well. Yeah, I, it, it takes it takes a little time. But, you know, as you start to teach people how to treat you, you can start to regain your calendar back where you say, you know, I already have an appointment at that time. Will this time work for you? And usually they're going to say yes. Okay, great. How many agents are there in your marketplace? Do you know roughly? Um, there's 400, um, but really the top 200 are agents that are in production. And what's the general population of that area? Um, 100,000 for Peoria and then for all of, uh, all of our surrounding within five-minute drive. I mean, I could drive by five minutes and hit East Peoria. I'd say another 100,000, so about 200,000, 250. Okay, okay, great. Are there a lot of uh, large teams that you're competing with? Yeah, there's, there's uh, the, well, the top 10 agents are all teams except for one. Um, so we, we do compete with about 10 other I mean, there, there's big stair steps in between, you know, each of the teams, but um, we do compete with one team in particular that is two teams and that are like either right on the same par with us or one that's almost double us. So there's really like the top three teams that are doing 7% of the production. Interesting. That's usually how it works, right? The, that 80-20 principle in, in some way or another, right? Yep. Okay, let me ask you, if you had to start all over again in a different part of the country and uh, you were just sort of dropped there and you're like, okay, let's go. How do you do it <laughs> from ground zero? You don't know anybody. You don't have much of a budget. What do you do? Yeah, actually, it's funny that you said that because I just posted in lab coats. You know, somebody had asked that question and I've drawn out like what I would have done. Um, what I think I would do, if you dropped me off in say like California or something, 
I would probably sit there for an hour and I would try to envision what do I want this business to look like and what maybe one or two tools am I going to use all the time? You know, because sometimes people just get, the agents get busy with new flashy objects and they're like, oh, this will help my business or this won't. Really, all I, all I would need would be a book and a journal and a CRM. That would be the only two things I would invest in right away because I'm more spirit driven. I'm going to go out and meet people. So, you know, I'd use the book and the journal to constantly improve myself. And then the CRM, I would just keep a list of everybody that was in there, you know, if I, and then kind of knowing that I have that. So what are we going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to see who the who's who of that of that city would be. I imagine myself in like San Diego or, you know, some like bigger city. So I would go to all the hangout spots or, you know, I would see ask the general public, like, what do people like to do in the area? Maybe go to a park and just honestly start just meeting everybody and just giving my cards out to everybody. And then, you know, I would just say, have you ever, you know, thought about uh, being in real estate? Started, started like going that route too, you know, because then it's a little bit less abrasive. You ever thought about being a real estate agent before? No. Well, by the way, I want business from you. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So then I would, you know, hang out, maybe go to the bars or, or, or find out who the who's who is. And then I would start to contact those people. And then I would start to gradually build my, my database up. And then once I would get a sale... I would start to use that person as my first person and start trying to get at least three deals from that person a year as I'm trying to get deals from the general public. Um, and then have a big social media presence because you could probably get a lot of leads that way. Even if they're not, even if you jumped up and went to a different area of the country, your sphere at home can, can pad you with referrals, you know? And how would you create that social media presence? Uh, I would have, and this is, this is, again, I would just have the basics. You know, our team, we have like probably 19 different social media platforms now because I have somebody that does all of it. But I would just start, start off with just Facebook and probably Instagram, maybe, maybe a, a blog or some sort. And I would just take those three, know that I'm going to invest 15 minutes into each one of them, you know, every day. Maybe one gets 30 minutes. Maybe, they, maybe I'm having success with it, and it's really going back and examining what's working, what's not. I spend an hour on Facebook or an hour on Instagram or whatever until I could build that, that cash flow. But I would just go three simple things, Facebook, Instagram, and maybe a blog. And what are you doing on Facebook and Instagram? Are you, are you connecting with other people through comments of their posts? Or are you posting yourself? And what are you posting about? Um, I mean, I think that what I would probably do is, is kind of work my sphere back in here in Peoria and start referring them to agents here while I was out in, say, California, getting having some capital come in. So I would just reach out and say, hey, I actually moved to San Diego. I'm going to refer you to this agent so I can get some money there. Um, and then as far as trying to use social media to build in that area, I would probably start liking the groups or like the for sale sites or whatever you know is available in that area. If it was for sale everything San Diego or for sale everything, you know, San Francisco, you know, or whatever it is, and then jump into those groups and be the expert, you know, hey, or for sale by owner groups in that local area. Have you had any thoughts of moving to California? No. Because <laughs> it seems well thought out, just saying. <laughs> we do want to expand there, but we'll, we'll just do Central Illinois over to Iowa first. Gotcha. Um, 
so that's really interesting. And another thing that I'd like to add to that is you can look for those community groups. Usually you'll find community groups if you have a community called, I don't know, uh, Tulip Hills. Then you can find Tulip Hills, what's happening, and just become an active member of that and really keep your ear to the ground and see what's happening in, in Tulip Hills. Yeah, that would be the easiest way. It's just to get in there and say, hey, I'm a real estate professional. If you guys need any help or if I can give you anything or help you in any sort of way, they'll, they'll respond, even if one person responded with one comment, you know? <laughs> Excellent. So you're out there, you're trying to build your sphere, your contacts. You got to get, you can't be a secret agent and be successful. You got to get out there and let everybody know you're in the business, meet the important influencers in the community and yep. uh, kind of get your name out that way. I like that. Very yep. organic approach. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, parting thoughts uh, for a new agent getting into the business or maybe somebody that's uh, been in it for a while but feels a bit stuck and, and would like some growth. Um, parting thoughts in that respect as well as maybe any books that you might recommend. Yeah. I mean, I would uh, – anything from John Maxwell. I mean, personal development is going to be the number one thing because most agents have a – I don't want to say negative mindset, but they don't have the correct mindset to know that they're going to be a lead generator and, you know, doing the work after the fact that they're, they got into two businesses. Um, cause most, most people aren't a natural born salesperson. So, and I, and I wasn't either. So personal development, reading every day, anything from John Maxwell, um, watching expenses, definitely knowing what, you know, playing red light, green light on what you're going to spend, see if it works, then take it back if it doesn't. And then just really prospecting, all avenues that you can for at least two hours a day. If you did those simple three things, you would be successful. Excellent. Mr. Bryson Smith, thank you so much for uh, sharing everything that you've got with us today and being so open. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. So if people want to get a hold of you, send you some referrals, remind everybody where you are working and how to get in touch. Yep. So Bryson Smith, Keller Williams Premier Realty, Peoria, Illinois, 309-282-4918 is my office line or they could reach me at Bryson at brysonsmithteam.com. Excellent. Again, thank you so much, and I hope we stay in touch. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, I just wanted to say thank you so much. I truly appreciate you for your support and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, share this all over social media, and especially share it with a realtor that you know that might be having a difficult time finding their own path to success. I'll see you on the next episode.